right, Ramblers? Let's get rambling. <laughs> Come on. That's perfect for a podcast. Yeah, I guess so. How are you feeling, Phil? We're not on the front anymore. Yeah. I'm on the front. What a, yeah, we have to acknowledge that. What a ride it was. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I can safely say I hope we never get drafted again. <laughs> <laughs> after that whole spill you know. at the end of last week's episode, we're like, oh, we're going to be back with more war movies after. And then you <laughs> have the gall tag, like we're not going back. Yeah, we're going to go back. But we, you know, we went out on a high. Yeah. One of the greatest movies of all time. I know we just did it, but you know, yeah. one of the greatest movies of all time. One of, I think that's a good episode. You'll I don't know. You're, you're going to edit, and you're going to yeah. be like, actually, this is really I'm good. Just, I'm pre- going to. I'm basically pretending like um, I've just gotten back from holiday because I think, like, by the time this episode goes out, I would have just been back from holiday. So I'm pretending like I didn't just record. Oh, how was your holiday? This episode, the big mamma jam of Forrest Gump, and then also a bonus episode that went way longer than I thought I was going to do, <laughs> all back to back in. The fact that I'm going to have to edit all these episodes before I go on <laughs> So, yeah, I'm great, Phil. I'm yeah, great. You're great. You could but, probably uh, cut out that whole 20 minutes where we talked about the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope that didn't come off really weird. Actually, I was thinking about it when I was like, uh, <laughs> no, that was weird. Because yeah, I, I really wasn't meaning it like at any sort of. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Yoko Ono gets unfairly maligned all the time. Then you're back to it. You're just right back into it. But uh, yeah, it was just like, it was more of the, I don't even remember why. It was because, I was making a joke because they replaced Yoko Ono. Who cares? You know, like, mm. that's what it was. It doesn't matter. So stop fucking emailing me about it, you know? Even though this is like clearly hasn't even come out and I haven't decided if I am just going to cut out that old 20 minutes. Well. <laughs> But don't you dare uh, come out, come out, cut out any of my Bubba Gump stuff. That shit gold. It was great. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> you know what else is great about Bubba Gump? God, Phil, we're like not in war anymore, and I don't even remember how I like used to start podcast episodes where we weren't on the war front. What did I used to say? We would do. We would bullshit about this, yeah. and you go. Is it just uh, welcome to the Bob Charles Cinecast? This is your host, John the Foster, and I am here with my little vampire boy. It's Phil. Vampire, vampire. It's Halloween. It's, it's Halloween. time for spooky ookies. It's time. October season. It's time. The best time of the year. Yeah. It's a busy month yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. My birthday and Dusty's birthday. Yeah. And Happy birthday, Phil. Thank, fucking I mean, it thank hasn't you. happened yet, but. Yeah, but it will. Coming. Hopefully. Yeah. You know, it, who, who knows? Um, but and it's always a very busy time at the cinema. We've got LFF going. We've got yeah. the horror October season, which is always a big hit. We've yeah. got lots of lots of marathons on, lots of lots of screening on. Yeah, it's all over the place. You know what else we got going on? But you, you said LFF. Phil and I have press accreditation. Oh, moving on up um, moving for on LFF up. this year, and uh, that's no something biggie, you might whatever. be able to expect. Maybe some little bonus episodes here and there that pop in. Probably won't be long, but maybe if mm. Phil and I like get together sort of in between recording episodes and like kind of pop in, you know, some thoughts about some of the films we saw, or uh, I don't know. 
things here and there about the experiences of being in these press screenings or something. I don't really know. I don't really know what we're going to do, but, you know, well, maybe. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. No promises, but maybe. I'm going to try to catch a bunch, bunch of stuff. Before the press pass, I actually yeah. bought tickets for The Whale. So I will be Ooh. seeing that. Yeah. So I can do a little little hot take on that. Nice. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, I saw the... And we're, we're showing it at the cinema as part of our LFF program, but the tickets are already sold out. Um, and I pr- I'm pretty sure we'll probably show it when it comes out in cinemas uh, after LFF. But I saw the Banshees of... Oh, fuck, how's I know, that pronounced? Yeah. Inversheernan? Yeah. Inversheernan? Yeah, I think, I think you got it right. Yeah, the new Martin McDonough film. Fucking excellent. Oh, good. Really good. I loved it. He's made some really good shit. Yeah, I think it's better than all the films I've seen of his so far. It's a really good movie. Really nice score. It's funny. It's like kind of sad as well. Uh, But yeah, it's very Irish as well, which it's even better. Makes it even better. (laughs) Very Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Phil, speaking of things that are coming up soon, oh my God, it's only a few weeks away until we're going to be live at the Prince Charles Cinema to present our two spookies, one spoof triple feature of the 90s teen horror classic Scream, and I know what you did last summer, and that silly parody film, Scary Movie. As we've been saying each and every week leading up to this, we're going to be taking the stage to intro each film in the mini-marathon, so you don't want to miss it. It all kicks off at 6.15 on Friday, the 28th of October. Tickets are on sale at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. And that's, you know, fitting, Phil, because you said it. It's October. You know what that means. It's once again, tis the season of the spooky ooky. Spooky ooky. <laughs> we put a pin in our war arc for now as we return to celebrate the most festive of seasons Halloween! Halloween! <laughs> and Halloween! With that, we see the return of vampires, witches, and werewolves. Oh, oh my! Spooky Ookie. Halloween! Vampires, witches, and werewolves. Oh my! (laughs) It's time for your spooky ookie. It's time for your spooky Time for your spooky All right, so over the next four weeks, like we did last year, we'll be exploring a different film from each of these horrific genres. It's a vampire film for vampires, a witch film for the witches, a werewolf film for werewolves, and a random spooky ooky for all my, which we've already kind of given away in recent weeks, where we're going to basically, we're going to do an episode for scream i know what you did last summer and scary movie that kind of ties into our live show that's not really a live show we're just introing it so don't get your hopes up but please come out and say hi and stuff 
So, uh, but yeah, if you come out and you tell people this is what you want, then maybe we'll do a real live show in the future. You know, just gotta like put the you know. There's maybe a lot for of caveman. people that listen to this episode, these episodes every week, and I don't know where you're coming from, but come out to the Prince Charles Cinema, come see us. Anyway, last year we put it to a vote uh, for each of these films, and because we're lazy, aka I don't want to spend any more time on social media than I need to. Uh, yeah. And also, come on, man, we're we've been busy. We've been busy. Yeah. You know, we refuse to give you a lot of stuff the on. vote again. This ain't a yeah. democratic fucking podcast. We want to do <laughs> our own choices. But we that. we've taken the runner ups, I think, sort of, or some that we the ones we wanted, we wanted to do, to do yeah. uh, that were in last year's vote. So there's some of the same films that you probably heard us uh, putting out into the ether as potential. So if you want it, you know some of these films and uh hey maybe you got a second chance so it's week one which means we're talking about another blood-sucking vampire film last year we gave you the new zealand vampire house sharing mockumentary <laughs> what we do in the shadows it's a great episode go back and listen to it if you want it's in the archives what do we have in store for them this year oh from <laughs> i've forgotten see every episode <laughs> From dusk till dawn. Dark night. It's a dark You understand the meaning of the words profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. We might be in trouble. There are a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Texas that leaves several casualties. Bank robber Seth Gecko, played by George Clooney, and his psychopathic rapist brother Richard Gecko, or Richie, played by Quentin Tarantino, head to the border for Mexico with a hostage in tow. After killing a clerk and a sheriff at a convenience store, the brothers decide to stop off in a low-budget motel where Richard brutally murders their hostage. 
Meanwhile, Jacob Fuller, played by Harvey Keitel, a former pastor who's lost his faith after a death of his beloved wife from a car accident. <laughs> I think maybe, you know, Quentin Tarantino should sue M. Night Shyamalan because that's basically the whole plot to science. <laughs> anyway, I can't wait to talk about M. Night Shyamalan films over there on Patreon that we've been promising we never do because Phil, for some reason, keeps vetoing it every time I'm like, let's do Shyamalamania. And you're like, no. Let's talk about fashion. Fashion. <laughs> anyway, sorry. He's traveling on vacation with his son, Scott, played by Ernest Liu, and his daughter, Kate, played by Juliette Lewis, in an RV. But they stop off for the night in the same motel that Seth and Richard are lodged. When Seth sees the recreational vehicle, he abducts Jacob and his family to help he and his brother cross the Mexican border, promising to release them the next morning after managing to get across the border. Seth directs Jacob off to a rowdy trucker and biker bar called the Titty Twister, which is a great name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where Seth will meet with his partner, Carlos, at dawn. But soon they discover that the bar is a coven for vampires and they must fight until <laughs> dawn if they want to leave the place alive. It's the 1996 crime slash vampire movie. Written Ooh. by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Hot takes out the gate, Phil, from dusk till dawn. Hot take out the gate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one's kind of my choice here. Could, yeah. Yeah, I really like from dusk till dawn. <laughs> I think genuine, I think genuine underrated sort of gem of a movie. I, th- I feel like it gets blocked, especially in the night with all of the shit uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez was putting out. Um, and I, I love it just kind of that genre mashup. And like, I would shown it by my brother, not knowing that would twist. And I think that's the best way to watch it. Oh, definitely. It kind of, yeah. it kind of like Akira, like when he showed me Akira, I think I said this on our Akira episode, he was like, it's about motorcycle king. And I was like, okay, and, but that's not what that movie's about <laughs> at all. Like it, that takes the fucking turn yeah. partway through. And that's what I like about From Dark Till Dawn is that it's already a great sort of uh, very naive heist movie with all the sort of Tarantino-esque dialogue yeah. um, with the very distinct Rodrigo direction because nobody sort of shoots action like him. It's very stylish, very fucking cool. But then halfway through, it turns into a really cool vampire movie yeah. as well. And it and it's just fucking insane. It becomes like a like a classic like B horror movie in the best sense possible. Yeah. And again it's like one of the last like practical like horror movies made like that. You got like I mean, I, th- I think Tom Savini did the special effects for it, right? No. Or is he just in it? He's just, no. I'll He's just in that. it then. Yeah. Um but it's got that it reminds me of sort of the the Romero movie. And Absolutely. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's got Great characters mm-hmm. like Harvey Keitel is like the, the preacher who's lost his faith, and like a really interesting turn from Clooney. It's a character you never get to see him play. He never really gets to play the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not, and he's not the villain of the piece by any means, but he is the bad guy. But it's great. It's fucking fun. It's quotable, and it has, you know, we have to mention, you know, it's got a great supporting cast of Tom Tavini and fucking Danny Trejo and Salma Hayek in what you have to say is like, you know, one of those awakening scenes. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's the nicest way for me to put it. Yeah. You know, like 
at the time, watching it at the time, I'm just, you know. Yeah, she's it's gorgeous, important. man. She's gorgeous. She, she's just amazing. And then, the, but then it's amazing because it's like, it throws that back in your face. Because yeah. then when she turns into a vampire. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just like, you know, she goes from like the most beautiful thing to the most horrific thing in the world. And I like, I love the design. I of try to tread just, lightly on those sort of things because of the exactly. of women in films, especially during this time. But yeah, of that's course. a career making role. It's an isolated sequence. The film stops yeah. dead yeah. to do that dance number. And yeah. obviously you can't help it. And he does a great yeah. version of it in um, Death Proof as well. So it's something I think Tarantino likes. And that's interesting about this film where it's like Tarantino writing it and then he's in it as a character who had the foot fetish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so on the nose. It's weird. Like, because he wrote himself to be this that's character <laughs> to be so in- extremely creepy and it's really strange. And I don't know if that's like, if that helps his like the way people it perceive help him out of day or if it like no, takes away that's from what makes, I don't know. But that's what makes that performance interesting yeah. because he's still Tarantino. Tarantino yeah, yeah. is like kind of a dorky looking guy with a high pitched voice and it, so it's weird for him to play a gangster. Yeah. But it kind of worked with the sort of brother setup. But as well, one of my favorite things about the movie and we're always like big on music, fucking Tito and Tarantula. Dude, yeah, they're great. They're so just good. amazing. This band... Yeah playing throughout the especially film during that scene the dance scene <laughs> yeah because they're playing yeah fuck after dark i think but yeah there's good music all the way through this film uh we'll i get just into had that to mention well. it yeah um, you hot yeah no what dude thinking? i'm so up and down on this film all the time and not in yeah, not in any like reaction. not in any um negative way but like more so of the way of like critics are with this film i think some days you catch me and i'm like dude that first fucking half is so fucking fire. And then like the <laughs> second half just completely takes all the air out of the tires. And then actually, you know what? Like I thought it, I thought I was going to go into this viewing in having that same experience. And to some degree, I, I did because I love a heist f- film and I love like a crime film. And that first part of the film is so fucking good. It's like really fucking good. And I even think even to the point when they get to the bar, like, times i feel like oh man you could have just not done the vampire thing and they could have been at the bar and then there's just a big shootout and then they have to get out of there and they go somewhere else and you see el ray or whatever like you could have had all that it could have done that yeah but uh like you said you know with i don't know if it's because it's savini in it and then um it wasn't him who did the special effects it was uh k and b so it would have been like kurtzman and nicotero and howard mm. Berger. so these guys who were basically students of Tom Savini and it feels like Savini plus Savini's in it that this time watching it, I had a really good time, even though it it is completely silly with the second part of the film because it is just completely bonkers. And I think it really helped having, uh, so basically last year around this time, me, you and Ari did the second season of franchised it's mm. that actually kind of floored me. I only realized that like it was around this time last year that we started it uh, because I went back and I was trying to figure out like some, some of the formatting for the vampires, witches and werewolves. And I was trying to see the episode like numbers and stuff. So I can look back on my notes and stuff. And I realized that, uh, yeah, that was in October last year and it like freaked me out. And I'm like, Jesus, we've been promising like uh, another season. We just never did it. Is franchise dead? 
I don't know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's sidetrack. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, because we did franchise and we did all those Romero films, particularly Dawn of the Dead, this film totally does Dawn of the Dead, but it's vampires. Like it's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. It's stupid. It's, it's completely insane. It's not great, but at the same time, it's like, it, whatever, you know, but the first half of the film, I feel like is kind of a great film, even though there is like the weirdest Tarantino's like decisions, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, you know, he's, he never played characters like that. And you're right. George Clooney. I, I love George Clooney. I actually yeah. like I never no, George Clooney great. We this is something we never we talked talk about, about Clooney before a lot. on the podcast as far as like who's your favorite actors like and I you know there's kind of a joke about which we didn't somehow didn't manage to talk about last week uh, although I did say he's great in the movie but Tom Hanks is like one of I think he is just one of my favorite actors he's just like good he's like he's a modern day Jimmy Stewart kind of playing yeah, yeah. a role and you like the him. every man um but George Clooney's up there for me. Like, I actually really like Clooney. Oh, yeah? Even films that I think people, like, shit on a little bit, I think are fucking great. And he's great in them. Uh, people, like, tend to hate on um, intolerable cruelty a lot, like, from the Coens. I think it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I think he's really hate funny. That <laughs> um, there's Weez and Joe in that film. It's fucking one of the funniest things that the Coens have ever done. Yeah, there's quite a few films that I just really like Clooney in. I think Batman he's really good. Bat- even Batman and Robin, he's an underrated Bruce He's good Wayne. in that. But yeah, this no, film is fucking great. great. And it put him on the map. It was a star-making performance for him. And like we were talking mm. about Selma Hayek, it's like, yeah, it's a bit weird. You're throwing a woman out there and making her do the sexy dance. And it gets even weirder when I kind of tell you how she got the role and I'll get into it. But like, again, she looks amazing. And it was a star-making role for her as well because she basically blew up after this as well. So, fuck it. Who cares, man? Like, mm. I've seen on Twitter, like, you know, recently just people posting that scene and just talking about, like, man, like, what a fucking phenomenal scene. Just in general. <laughs> it's just awesome. She it. looks yeah. amazing. The f- whole fucking band playing. Just, like, it's really mesmerizing. The fucking snake It's an incredible and sequence. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, overall, like, you know, like I said, up and down. I've watched this film, I think, a million times. It, you know, I remember when it came out. So It's it kind of got that full metal jacket thing. Where yeah. the first half is better than the second yeah, half. Yeah, it's the total I, film of two parts. Yeah. I but I still think the second half does, it's still great. And yeah. like it makes the first I just I don't think I think the first half is great. And if it stayed on that track, it would have been fine. Mm. But I don't think it'd be as memorable as it is. Like the turn is what makes it memorable, even if that forces it into becoming a different movie that maybe you're not interested in. Yeah. I still think, yeah, yeah. like, I don't think I'd care that much about From Duck Till Dawn if it was, like, just two brothers holed up in a bar. But it's like, that bar is fucking full of vampires, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. And to be Cheech Marin is there, I don't, I'm in. I don't think anybody would. <laughs> like, Yeah, well, you there know, we go. I, I wouldn't think be talking about it now. Yeah, it's notorious because it did do that. Like, if it was... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it would They have should have left it out, the Reservoir Avatar. Dogs clout well. or something, you know, just kind of, a, like, you know... For cult, sure, yeah. You know, crime film, but I I would really be interested in seeing like the reaction if nobody knew that twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think the, all the, they, they give it away though. in the trailer. Yeah, you know. But I think back in the day, per, you know, when it came out, I think there were some people still because you know you you would have people who didn't see a trailer or they didn't see the reviews or they didn't, you know, the internet wasn't really a thing. So, you know, people were able to see it, I think without 
getting spoiled and yeah, it was possible back in the day. So I think it would be interesting to show this to people who don't know it and don't know the twist like that, like nowadays, because, you know, it's an older film and just like sneak it up on someone. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Like, that's an interesting combination, right? Like, just throw yeah. it to them like, OK, and then just like have their minds blown. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a fun film. And I think like just in general, it's interesting Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino at this time. Uh, it's kind of interesting yeah. how the project came on board and stuff. I mean, I years ago, like, um, you know, got really into, you know, both, I guess both. I mean, like Tarantino was like easier to get into, but like Robert Rodriguez, you had to work a little bit harder because like his yeah, films aren't sure. quite as popular, you know, obviously. And they're a bit all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had a stretch where he just made kid movies yeah. as well. So he's just making. A couple of those are great. Yeah. Well, he's just making those films for his kids. So it's like, it's always forgivable as well when someone's pretty open and honest by like their weird decisions in their filmmaking (laughs) careers. Like, um, but you know, it's kind of cool. Like he, he, uh, wrote that amazing book about like, it was literally like his diaries. Yeah. Rebel without a crew. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. I read that back in the day. Go read it. Yeah. It's like the indie filmmaker. Yeah. You know, Bible. Definitely. Yeah. they made a, documentary about this and i saw it back in the day as well and i tried to ca- catch it again before we did this episode called full tilt boogie but like i never huh? i never I could uh f- like i was trying to find it and i couldn't find it and then it was like on apple for like 5.99 and like i just i was about i was like at my wits end and i was about to buy it and then like i fucking i don't know my card payment didn't go through because like I that's, guess it was, yeah, it was just like yeah fuck it I'm not gonna buy it so yeah whatever um but yeah anyway the idea from from Dust of Dawn actually spawned from the special effects and makeup legend Robert Kurtzman so it's written by Tarantino but the idea actually came from Robert Kurtzman Kurtzman wanted to use a project as a way to showcase the special effects and capabilities of K&B effects group which is the company he founded with Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger They've worked on everything like before they really founded the company, they were working on things like, you know, Evil Dead 2. And then they ended up when they founded the company, they were working on things like The Intruder, which is one of my favorite fucking films. I've talked about a lot like Scott Spiegel directed. It has a lot of Evil Dead people in it. Um, Army of Darkness. That's the, that's the supermarket. Supermarket. One, right? Yeah. Supermarket yeah. Slasher. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did. They did from uh, Army of Darkness. They did Kill Bill. And nowadays they're like known for doing The Walking Dead. So by the mid 90s, practical special effects were becoming a thing of the past, especially after the release of Jurassic Park in 1993. So K&B decided instead of panicking like a lot of other practical effect companies were doing, that they would ride it out. And as horror films started to slow down, they will emphasize to filmmakers their ability to create realistic animatronics, bringing effects that had once been mainstays of B-movies into the mainstream films, such as prosthetic effects and comedy films. So this is where their idea was like, hey, we've got this idea to really just showcase what we're doing. And this is where Tarantino comes into the picture. So it was 1990. Tarantino had been making a bit of noise with some of these scripts that he penned. It would become big hits, uh, which are cult classics, which would have been Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers and Tony Scott's True Romance, neither of which had been actually produced yet, but the scripts were out there. And Kurtzman, who conceived of the story, 
had wrote a treatment for From Dust Till Dawn, reached out to Tarantino to write the script for $1,500, which allowed him to quit his job as a video clerk. And this is officially Tarantino's first paid gig in Hollywood, despite nice. coming out two years after he became a huge success with Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, it's just one of these weird things where, like, Tarantino's early career is really confusing because, like, he's got, like, you know, Natural Born Killers and True Romance. Those are, like, famous for being the things that really, like, catapulted him into the, you know, you know into the spotlight a little bit. But he really was... You know, he he made um, Reservoir Dogs, obviously. And then once he made Pulp Fiction, like all of that old shit actually became even more famous. Um, mm. And he kind of became a legend of like, you know, quitting his video clerk job and then becoming a success overnight. But actually, it was from Dust to Dawn that was the very first <laughs> thing that he did. So Tarantino had one condition. And as part of the deal for him to write the script, K&B had to help him with the makeup on Reservoir Dogs. So they went in and they did the infamous ear scene and that created this working relationship with Tarantino and K and B that would go on to see them partner up for so many of his movies. Robert Kurtzman, his treatment was a five page outline. It mostly uh, focused on the events of the titty twister and very little of the events (laughs) about how they led there. There was a little bit. So Tarantino took it as opportunity to expand it heavily and basically, you know, go crazy with his like, you know, dialogue heavy, like gritty crime movie. Uh, and he wanted it to pay homage to the drive in and exploitation films of the past. So that's why it feels like it's a double feature. You know, you have this gritty crime film and then it turns into this balls out B horror movie full of blood and guts and schlock. And mm. of course, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, they would revisit this idea down the line together with Grindhouse, where they each directed their own features that were paired together that very much do the same thing. You got a crime film and you have this like schlocky fucking horror film. <laughs> the uh, script was sold to Universal Pictures. And this is something I had no idea about. So originally from Dust to Dawn was considered to be a follow up to Demon Knight. So Demon Knight was the first of the Tells of the Crypt film trilogy that they had proposed. So it was the Tells of the Crypt presents Demon Knight. And then they wanted From Dust to Dawn potentially to be the second film in what would have been a trilogy. Uh, but they ultimately decided to produce another vampire film, which was Tells from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood, which was a very bad decision because that film <laughs> flopped so fucking hard that Tells from the Crypt execs canceled the plans for the trilogy. So there was never never was a third film. <laughs> yeah, and From Dusk to Dawn ended up being the first in another trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, originally Robert Kurtzman had intended to make this his directorial debut. And in the end, he basically just decided to contribute with the makeup effects. Uh, Kurtzman would go on to direct a handful of films. I mean, his, I can't even remember what it was called his first film. It wasn't anything of note. It looked kind of shitty, but his most notable film was 1997's, uh, Wishmaster which we, I believe we showed last Halloween at the cinema. It's a Wes Craven produced fantasy horror film about like a gin or something like an evil gin. Like a drink? No, no, like a genie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Quentin Tarantino didn't think that 
from Dust Till Dawn would get made. He, did, he just kind of didn't really think much about it. I think he had considered doing it in between he doing uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, but he just never ended up making it. And then he ran into Robert Rodriguez at a film festival in 1993, and both of them had very similar uh, interest in films and both notably broke into Hollywood at the same time with their ind- independently produced gritty crime films in 1992. That would be Reservoir Dogs for Tarantino and then El Mariachi for Robert Rodriguez. And Tarantino would show him the script, who loved it. And Miramax were producing Robert Rodriguez's follow-up slash sort of remake of El Mariachi, which was 1995's Desperado. Desperado. And they secured the project and wanted Tarantino to get involved. And Tarantino only agreed to do the film if Rodriguez directed it. So other directors that were considered before they ultimately gave it to Robert Rodriguez were Rennie Harlan. And Tony Scott. Oh, interesting. Tony Scott, I think, would have made a good version of this. Yeah, definitely. I could see this feeling it falling in his wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, Rennie Harlan, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Um, so let's get in the cast. We have George Clooney's Seth Gecko. Some other actors that were considered. Okay, so I mentioned last week we would hear from old Johnny Travolta again. So John Travolta <laughs> was considered Here he is. for this. Here he is. So numerous actors were considered and they all turned it down. So it was John Travolta, Antonio Banderas, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and Christopher Walken. So all of them turned it down. Most of them were for scheduling reasons. But John Travolta turned it down because he didn't want to do a vampire movie. But instead, he was interested in Tarantino's other film. So I guess this would have been like before... Like, like I said, this is from like 1990 that this film was floating around. So it's like it's a long history. And I don't know if like Tarantino was considered when he was considering directing it. He like, you know, maybe floated it to John Travolta to play the part. But John Travolta was more interested in playing Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. (laughs) And the rest is history. I mean, like we've notably said every time we bring up John Travolta, like, you know, that was like the turning point for him and made him a fucking star again. So he made the right choice, but Hey, this film made George Clooney a star. So it's all right. Uh, George Clooney's fucking great in it. I mean, he basically was selected to do this because Tarantino directed an episode of ER, which is like (laughs) hard to imagine, but yeah, he directed an episode of ER and of course ER starred George Clooney and he thought George Clooney would be perfect for the role. And he wanted to give him a chance to showcase a different side to him. And at this point, George Clooney had very limited success with feature films. He had only appeared in a few like B horror movies, such as like, Return to Horror High and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And then it was like a handful of other small feature films that he was in. But this would be the first film that he was like the lead in. And it was like mm. a big fucking deal for him. It's kind of weird, like going back because he just seems so sure of himself. Like he's fucking George Clooney in this, right? Like that's that's yeah, Clooney. yeah. He'd al- and he'd always been like yeah. that, regardless of if everybody was not on it yet. Yeah, maybe it was just ER like gave him a chance to really become like himself, like you know, because he became such a big star. I mean, he was in TV a lot. He was like on like different strokes and like Roseanne, I think. Like, but this was like the chance for him. Friends, to, like, fuck yeah, friends. This is a chance for him to really fucking grow as an actor. Not a lot of people make that jump. It's hard to make mm. that jump, even now. Definitely. Very difficult. In a, and still, we live, you know, we do live in an age where like TV is considered 
you know, and respected on the same level films can be as well. Prestige TV and stuff. Yeah. And so you have people, you have a lot of movie stars doing TV, but people who like get big off a TV show don't always translate. Make the, uh, yeah, translate. And like Clooney was one of the rare ones. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Clooney's like in a weird class though of like actors, like a very elite class of Hollywood, which is like, yeah. Like uh, very few, I mean, you know, I love Woody Harrelson, but I wouldn't put him anywhere close to the fame that Clooney has. I mean, it's no. like the fame that Clooney has. It's like, you know, there's Tom Hanks. The like, fame and respect. Yeah. Yeah. There's Tom Hanks. From you kids. know, there's like Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. All, basically like everybody in the ocean movie. Stars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Julia yeah. Roberts. Julia yeah. Roberts. Yeah. They're like they're super, super, super mega stars. It's crazy. He's so fucking famous. It's like kind of hard to believe. But it's weird to go back to a point where that wasn't the case and to still, yeah, him be just as cool, just yeah. as amazing, like n- not missing a beat. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the tattoo that George Clooney sports was his idea. It's a very weird tattoo, and you don't really get it's to great, see the whole thing all until, over tribal thing. Yeah, until he takes off his jacket at the very end of the film. But yeah, he's got that full fucking sleeve. So that was his idea. He was inspired after seeing the 1994 New Zealand drama Once Were Warriors, which stars uh, Tamawara Morrison, who is better known as Boba Fett in the modern Star mm. Wars. So yeah, he just nicked it. Cultural appropriation. He took it off Boba Fett. <laughs> classic, well, I classic don't think George Clooney. Yeah, I don't think he had it, but there was other characters that had some pretty intense, like you know, tribal sort of tattoos, like you know, I guess like uh, Maori uh, mm. tribal tattoos. And he has said that there's been like you know people over the years, like even I think there was like some rapper or something came up to him and wanted to show him their tattoo, and they were influenced by him from from dust of dawn and he's like oh actually you know that i took that from like this new zealand film which is yeah. funny yeah so there's that funny line i remember kind of laughing at it so uh, when, when selma hayek's character says uh welcome to slavery to oh yeah Seth, no thanks and he's like no thanks i already had a wife <laughs> apparently that line was ad-libbed and it wasn't going to appear in the movie, but Miramax popped it into the trailer. Robert Rodriguez says that he gets annoyed when trailers feature things that don't appear in the movie. So he felt obliged to include it into the but final cut. But it is kind of funny because like George Clooney had just come off a divorce and he oh. swore off marrying again. And it's something that he kept true to for so many years. For you know, a while until recently. Yeah. yeah. Only until like, yeah, I think it was 2014, which now is like kind of a long time ago. Which is weird but that was a big stretch where he but, would like, yeah. you know, an older Hollywood bachelor. Yeah, just like we're waiting, know, we're we're waiting for Leo to make the same revelation. You know, true, true. Yeah, the, the thing, at least with him, he would date people that were sort of around his age, whereas like <laughs> Leo was dating like young girls when they age out. But yeah, like yeah. you know, you remember Clooney was like with Stacy Keebler for a long time, which was weird. Fuck no, I don't remember that. Yeah, really, it was, it was actually just before he married like his his wife. Now. Oh my god, former yeah. WWE diva. Yeah, she not fucking familiar. weird. Yeah, WCW yeah, turned WWE. So she oh. was like old school WCW. Oh David Flair's girlfriend. What? What? Like these names shouldn't even like go together. I just yeah, remember yeah, like yeah. she she had that really shitty theme song. It was just like, she's got legs. <laughs> 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 she's got legs. All right, so Quentin Tarantino plays Richie Gecko. 
So apparently Tarantino, like, you know, he decided to play this role and apparently the character had a lot more funny lines and quips originally, but when he decided to do it, he gave them all to Seth. So he gave which them all to better. George Clooney because he wanted to try to play a different character than he normally played, which was always normally an extension of himself. So, you know, you see him in like, you know, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and uh, being I mean, big and funny. Yeah, indeed. he's just always saying all the funny stuff. And this was a chance for him to like be like weird and creepy. But again, debatably an extension of himself. Um, we have Harvey Keitel playing Jacob Fuller. This was like, you know, a really good, like different role for a him. A later he role looked, for Harvey yeah, Keitel. Yeah. It was like a different look for him as well. Um, he got top the dad as well. Yeah, makes sense. Because yeah. uh, he obviously was a bigger star than George Clooney, which is kind of funny because Clooney, like, it definitely wouldn't happen nowadays. And Clooney's clearly yeah. the star of the film. But yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he's fucking thick. And again, like, I mean, it's just the lines in this movie, man. Like, yeah, he got that great line, like, "You're such a fucking loser. You can't, you can't tell that you've won." Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, line. yeah, 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 yeah. He's great, and I just love that character. I think he's so sad. He's really and sad, like, really reserved, and like, yeah, yeah, really nerved, and then he sort of has to break out of himself and rediscover his faith, and yeah, fucking making that like cross shotgun. That's one of my favorite movie yeah. gun movie props. Yeah, ever. I think it's so fucking cool. It's um. It's funny though because like it really is like Mel Gibson's character from Signs. Like I was watching Yeah, on the Signs like I was but he doesn't like, shoot no vampires in that. Yeah, but he goes after aliens. That's true. I love Signs. Signs is great. Unironically. But it's literally great. the same same movie. What? Car <laughs> and George Clooney even said, "You don't have it, M. Night Shyamalan showing up." Was it a drunk driver? And he's like, "No, nah, no, nah, it won't M. Night Shyamalan." So that's the difference <laughs> in signs. So my wife, she died, just you know, slipping off the road. What was it? She, she just what? How did she die? Did she get hit by a car? I can't remember how. Yeah, she died. I forget. It was a car accident or something. She died. This <laughs> is some shit. I don't really remember now. But in signs, I've been drunk ever since. And signs. You know, in that movie, <laughs> there's the same thing in Signs, except for when she died, she was actually walking out in the street and she got hit by... In that Shyamalan fucking killed someone in that film. How do you write... Like, what's up with these, like, writer-director guys writing themselves to do the most disgusting shit? Because, like, Dude, don't Quentin even Tarantino get me was doing some gross shit in this film. Yeah, he's really fucking yeah. creepy in that. I don't... Low profile. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the infamous Ezekiel twenty five seventeen speech from Pulp Fiction that you know delivered by Sam Jackson mm. was originally meant to be for Harvey Cartel's character in this. As he that makes awesome more vampires. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It makes that would so have been much a great sense. moment. But it's yeah. great. You know, it's a classic, classic bit. And um, yeah, in Pulp Fiction, this is one of the few like. You know, movies where there's the threat of like obviously people dying, but people turning, people getting yeah. bitten, and like going out in really gruesome ways. This is one of the few films where it's upsetting every time, like to see it because <laughs> yeah. you genuinely, apart from Tarantino, like you genuinely like the characters, yeah, and you care for them, and it it that I think that a big credit to the film. It does that really quickly and doesn't it in a way you're not really noticing. Just, I guess just them being relatable and funny and sad. 
I just like that. I just, especially with Kaito Kakta and his kid, because they they they're believable at like young kind of kind of annoying kid. They get thrown into the thing, have to grow up quickly. Yeah. Um, again, that's a trap you could fall into. But she, Julia Lewis can be quite annoying in movies for some reason. Um, but she, actually, I really she, like Julia Lewis. Uh, I'm on. She I'm, on it, I'm, yeah. I'm Team Juliet Lewis. I'm okay. for it. But you're for go, for the forehead. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you, you were gonna. That was say. it. No, that oh, was okay. It. All right. That was right. just like it done a good job of yeah. like making you care and like, especially when you get toward the end and people are dying. You know, not many people survive the movie. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Julia Lewis, she's uh, Catherine Fuller. She was hired because she became friends with Tarantino after Natural Born Killers. You know, like you saw, you saw her in there. Um, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez were actually offered, a, uh, sorry, worried about offering the role to Julia Lewis because she was interested in it, and they were worried about it because not because of her, because um, they think you know she's great, but. They were worried that they thought it was beneath her because by this point in her career, she was playing like she was getting older. She was, you know, um, she'd gotten nominated for an Oscar for doing Cape Fear. She like obviously had oh, done, shit, yeah. she had done a couple of different things. Like, I guess what what's eaten Gilbert Grape would have been around this point. Like, you know, before this, she did. Uh, uh, natural born killers obviously so she was like on the up and kind of moving mm. more into like adult roles where they were worried that like you know this would be like oh you're stepping back into a sort of like oh i'm a quiet like teenager role and stuff and they were also yeah, worried yeah. that it was a very severely underwritten role um but i guess maybe they fleshed out a little bit because like she kind of turns into like the badass and at the end and stuff and like yeah but i do really like at the end of the film where she's like um, there's two things with Juliette Lewis in this film that I think are some of the funniest scenes. Uh, so the, at the very, very end, when she's, um, when she's sitting there, and she like, wanted to go, wanting with, him. To go with him, he's just like, yeah, go home. <laughs> she's just like, yeah. oh. I just think it's kind of funny, but the funniest fucking thing in the film, and it was something I somehow always remember. And I remember saying it and it, I think Julia was looking at me like fucking weird when we were watching this, but like, um. I remember like just like quoting the lines before it happened. Like, so there's the scene of Tarantino. <laughs> he starts having this fucking creepy fucking in his own head memory thing. And she goes like, oh, like, what did she say? Like, like, uh, Richie, I want you to lick my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you he's, just like, he's just like, no, it, I didn't say that. Uh, I just, I said what he says later to her where he's just like, you know, I'll do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. What? <laughs> so creepy. It's so funny because she's just like. She's like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's what it is. I think it's more funny because it's Tarantino doing it and it's just one of the creepiest scenes. It's so gross, but it's so funny because he's just like, oh, I'll, I'll do that for you. She's like, what? He's like, you know, the, th- the thing, you know, we were talking about earlier. <laughs> I'll do that for you if you want. And then like fucking Seth just screams out. He's like, Richie. When I say no talking, back, he's just like, we'll talk later. <laughs> uh, That's so funny. Golden. Uh, we get Ernest Liu plays Scott Fuller. 
This is basically the only film he's known for. He might have done. Yeah, I don't know him for anything. TV or something. I don't really know. But the most notable thing about him, he's wearing like a a assault on. Well, he's wearing a Precinct 13 shirt, and that's like a an homage to uh, John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, which is of course one of Robert Rodriguez's favorite directors and favorite films. So um, he's okay. He's kind of like he's just okay. I don't know. He's fine. Yeah, he's He's good in this. Yeah, um, he's he believable at the very night teenager. Yeah, 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 yeah. Playing his fucking guitar, not paying attention. Yeah. Um, Selma Hayek is sent to Nico Pandano- Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Um, yeah. So Danico or, Pandemonium. Originally, this part was supposed to be for a white character called Blonde Death, but this is what I was saying. So Selma Hayek, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, uh, Selma Hayek was hired after Tarantino basically got interested in her after he saw Four Rooms. So obviously, Four Rooms is that film. Uh, yeah, where it's like varying degrees of part. people enjoying it or not. But um, <laughs> it's uh, four directors doing four different parts, but it's all threaded together by Tim Roth's like buffoon sort of uh, bellhop character in this hotel. Um, and there's four different rooms, and each director had one of the rooms. Um, so. <laughs> Tarantino took part. Robert Rodriguez took part. And in Robert Rodriguez's part, there's a scene where there's a little boy and he's like turns on the TV. And I think there's like a stripper dancing on the TV screen. Tarantino saw this and was like, I guess just was mesmerized by it. So Selma Hayek has said that she was convinced (laughs) to do that part by Robert Rodriguez during four rooms under the condition that, you know, she could wear a bikini and that he wouldn't show Mm. her face. And Tarantino saw it and just thought she looked great and just like ended up rewriting the whole blonde death part as Saint Nico Pandemonium for Selma Hayek, which was from a Mexican horror movie of the same name that he remembered from his days of working in the video store about a nun who has visions and sexual fantasies about Satan. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he gets her in this scene. So the dancing scene. I feel like we just kind of have to we've already sort of talked about the music a little bit but like Tito and the Tarantulas playing this scene is one of the best scenes in the film it's fucking great it's iconic and it and it is the like I I like that the movie turned in one scene yeah and it's such a it stands out from any other scene in the movie it's slow and it's atmospheric and it's yeah. mesmerizing like you said but that's where the shift it shifts in tone it shifts in genre there's purpose to it yeah so it feels important it doesn't feel it is exploitative obviously it is but it still feels purpose you can almost feel where Robert Rodriguez took control as well (laughs) you know yeah 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 because (laughs) literally he obviously he directed the whole film but Robert Rodriguez um so I, I watched a little clip of him talking about it when they were making the film and he was just like you know I pulled back you know in some of these scenes like particularly at the beginning of the film where you have like the guys talking at the convenience store and he's just like you know this is all like slower it's all like this I made this like a Tarantino film you know I'm yeah, slowing yeah, yeah, things very much. down uh, this is a nine page like opening but it turned out to be 11, 11 minutes long because like I slowed everything down and it's just like you're thinking like this whole film's going to be about this sheriff talking about you know 
and him drinking this beer. You know, I made it that yeah. slow. But then you can see it's breakneck speed once they become vampires. After that, it's the pacing really crazy. picked up. Like the fucking yeah. Tito and the Tarantula band turn into like fucking like Guar almost. They have like these yeah, fucking and then they go into angry cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and their guitars are like made of bodies yeah, and it's shit. So sick, fucking metal, dude. Yeah. Uh, some of the other music that we get. Uh, in the film, obviously, is uh, Dark Knight by the Blasters. We get yeah. we get a ZZ Top, a couple of ZZ Top songs. Um, I think one of them they even wrote for the film, which is fucking weird. <laughs> and then there's, you forget how big ZZ Top yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, in the nineties, you know, they did a song for Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me all your love. They're loving. Phil, hold it off. Hold off. December's not too far away. Um, All right, come spoilers. Tim Allen, uh, the return of Tim. Yeah, Allen. and then there's a Stevie Ray Vaughan song, I believe, as well. But I mean, the big thing is Tito and the Tarantula, and and uh, also like Dark Knight by the Blasters is a sick song. But uh, the, but yeah, I mean, this dancing scene and that fucking song that Tito and the Tarantula is the Titty Twister House Band are playing. It's just fucking great. Again, it's one of those scenes. If the rest of the film had sucked, it would have been saved by that one. Scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, Selma Hayek was absolutely terrified of snakes and she was apprehensive about taking the role in general because of it. I mean, it's already weird. She has oh, really? to like fucking be like dripping in front of Tarantino, sticking yeah. her foot in Tarantino's mouth and like fucking dripping like vodka or whatever down her foot into his mouth or tequila or something. Whatever. Um, tequila. Of course he got to do that. Uh, yeah. I think she was laughing. <laughs> it's fine. About he it died well. immediately after. It's like I don't know the thing is I, I don't know how anybody like it you sometimes feel bad for this is what I was talking about earlier you know like you know I try to tread lightly nowadays like because I'm not like a fucking hormone raging teenager anymore you know like where back in the day like you know I did used to like I still do I think Selma Hayek's beautiful you know and like mm. but I'm not like you know fucking 14 anymore, and I'm you know. You don't view things yeah, like that. I don't that. view things like that anymore. Um, so a lot of times I view things of like you know, oh man, imagine if that was like your wife or you had a daughter, and, <laughs> you know, you saw her doing that, like, or you know, you just know how Hollywood has a really horrible way of like you know making women, women do a in lot of situations they don't want to fucking do. Of course. So I don't know. You're like it's this one of those. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I did watch a clip and she was kind of laughing about this whole scene and stuff about how like you know she was terrified about it and apparently like they th- I don't know like Tarantino or Rodriguez or maybe both of them threatened to hire Madonna to replace her because she apparently agreed to do the scene <laughs> like but like um, Madonna loves snakes. Yeah. She's waiting on a plane right now. <laughs> Which is kind of fucked up, but then she ended <laughs> yeah. up just doing it anyway. And uh, she basically had like gone through hypnosis training and stuff, and she got, kind of oh put herself God. in a trance to do it. Uh, the scene was completely improvised as well. She like, you know, was um she she was just like, oh, I, you know, I just I had to fucking just go out there. Like I couldn't like, you know, train. They didn't like snake, choreograph you know? all like, thing. You yeah, yeah, snake? yeah. So you go with she just it. She goes with it. Uh which is cool. I mean, it's a great fucking scene. Um, like, you know, what what I was getting at when I was saying this, like, I don't know how she feels about it in terms of sure. she felt like, oh fuck, I didn't really want to do that because I'm just like, you know, I'm gonna show my body off and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, some people are fucking cool with that and they're like fine with showing off their bodies and stuff. So it's like Whatever, but she was kind of laughing about it because there was like the whole thing with like sticking her foot in Tarantino's mouth and having like all the focus be on him. And she was yeah. just like saying something about like, you know, like all some of the other actors like George Clooney and stuff. So, like, oh, you're not even looking at me, just kind of like joking around. And she's just like, well, he's the fucking writer. He, he's like, I wrote, it. I'm the writer. I wrote this. Like, she was kind of laughing about that. So, 
Um, yeah, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino, basically they were also hiring a lot of their like B movie idols and, you know, basically a lot of their regular friends that you would see in a lot of their films. So Tom Savini plays sex machine, sex machine, classic, one of the greatest classic. side character yeah. ever. The fucking dick gun. Yes. Again, one of yeah. my favorite movie props I've ever seen. So funny. The cock yeah. pistol. It basically, so that, that was a prop that was in Desperado. So, uh, yeah. it was, the idea was invented by Robert Rodriguez and he basically thought it was funny and that he wanted to try to pop it as, pop it into as many films as possible. So Desperado, it was used. And it's in Spy Kids? Uh, <laughs> yeah. The youngest kid. Yeah, remember? A miniature cockpit. It's right at the end, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was later used in Machete Kills, and then it's also been used in the From Dust to Dawn TV series. Savini was basically at this point just trying to make a name for himself as an actor, so he was focusing less on special effects. Oh, okay. So... It's kind of weird. It's a weird time, but he did. He did actually the use of the whip. That was legit. So he was a master at using no the whip. And he was able to crack that whip at ease, like Devo. Um, and <laughs> he even managed to like aim and break a bottle in a deleted scene. Like there's like some shot where someone has like a bottle in their hand and he just cracks it and just breaks the bottle. And he did oh, it like, on his own, like you know. I would have fucking kept that in just like, look at that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You had special effects legend Greg Nicotero. So one of the the K&B guys, he plays, Mm. uh, if you know what he looks like, you'll recognize him. Um, Mm. I recognized him. He plays one of the biker friends of Sex Machine who uh, (laughs) I think gets killed by one of the vampires. Yeah. They're like the biker gang from Dawn of Dead. It's yeah, just like it really if they is. turned into vampires yeah. and showed up at the titty twist. That, that's like legitimately what I was thinking. And it's probably why I thought it felt like a lot like Dawn of the Dead, because it's a very similar role to the crazy biker character. Uh, mm. What's his name? Um, is it Wheels or name, something like that? Wheels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like yeah, that, yeah. like from the Romero films, because he appears in a couple. Uh, Danny Trejo is Razor Charlie. So. I love I mean, Danny Trejo. He's, he's great. And then the other... He's one of the greatest. And he's in everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's in every movie ever made. And <laughs> yeah, every literally. TV show. Um, yeah. And then Cheech Marin. He plays three characters. So he plays the border guard. He plays... Oh, God. I mean, it still makes me laugh. It's kind of fucking weird, but it makes me laugh. Chet Pussy. The line. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. We don't got it. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> And then he plays Carlos at the end. Uh, so he got the three parts thanks to line reads basically during the casting process and the fact that they just kind of didn't really have anyone else to play the roles. And he, I guess, I love just, that. They had him reading. You know lines. that. And he's like, yeah. You know about that. We both know. Yeah. You doubled up for my film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he just thought it'd be fun to play all three, you know, and they thought. Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino just thought it'd be funny. So, yeah. I love that. I'm a big, I love Cheech and Chong and Tommy Chong, especially could like, uh, could use in that 70 show when I was growing up and yeah. he played Leo on that. I loved him in that. And I just like seeing them pop up and shit. And definitely like Cheech, Cheech shows up in Biking as well, yeah, along yeah, with yeah. Danny Trejo. Basically, at the same character, because <laughs> yeah. Danny Trejo played Machete in those movies. Yeah. It's very strange. I mean, that's his his wheelhouse is Machete. Like yeah, even in much. Bubble Boy, <laughs> he's Machete in Bubble Boy. Great. Uh, Fred Williamson plays Frost, 
So he's a former NFL player turned actor, and he's a star. He of fucking looked like it. Tons and tons of uh, black exploitation films back in the day. Some with names that I don't want to say, even though it's the, it's the name of the film. But I'm not going to yeah. say because I'll get canceled. <laughs> Uh, he was in Black Cobra. He was in Black Caesar, which we recently played at the cinema. He was in Hammer, um, as the Hammer, which is a pretty like I guess notorious like you know black exploitation like star. Just like if you were into those films, he was someone you saw a lot back in the day. And he was also in the 1978 Italian film called The Inglorious Bastards, which influenced Tarantino's similarly titled. 2009 film Inglorious Bastards. Phil, I started immediately laughing because I'm like, okay, we're taking a break from Nam, but then this motherfucker goes off talking about Vietnam, giving this long ass <laughs> Vietnam speech, man. God damn, can't dude. Escape it, can't cannot we? escape Vietnam. He just gives us with every this movie brutal from now fucking on. like in a bomb blew like a grenade landed next to me and exploded and then i was like yeah yeah and then it's like great <laughs> shot of like tom savini like just hearing the voices and he's like looking over and you just see him just like still talking but he's just like mimicking like and you can't hear <laughs> yeah. anything he's saying it's so funny kill them all it's, <laughs> it's great but like now off the back of that I'm just sanitized to anything. You could give me the most terrific war monologue. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. I've heard it. Yeah. I've seen them all now, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, the exterior of the bar, the titty twister, was apparently inspired by Kurt's compound in Apocalypse Now. So we really can't Here escape it. Here we go. It. We really can't Can. escape it. Apocalypse when? I'm not making... At the titty twister. Yeah, I'm not making any of this shit up. It just keeps happening. This is like the um, new diploma yeah, in the Vietnam. Just Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we would solve it if we actually would have talked about that motherfucker's Vietnam film. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh, you know what else always comes up? In this episode as well, fucking Boba Fett and De Palma. Oh, my God. He is. De- oh, God. De Palma. God damn it. All right. Um, Everywhere. Anyway, uh, the hostage, that lady Gloria, the hostage that Tarantino fucking brutally murders. She's played by uh, Brenda Hillhouse. That was Tarantino's acting coach. She's <laughs> uh, like fucking murdered his acting teacher. I want to kill my acting coach and yeah. I want to go down on Juliet Lewis. <laughs> That's why I'm writing this. John Saxon plays the FBI agent Stanley Chase. I felt like he had more of a role, but he really doesn't. It's kind of like a non No, he's barely in it. I yeah. guess they just really like Saxon. I mean, he's a classic character. Yeah, um, and then yeah, we got some we got some other interesting people. So John Hawks plays the cashier Pete Bottoms uh, at the beginning of the film. Uh, that role was apparently offered to Steve Buscemi and Tim Roth as well, but they both turned it down because they were too busy with something else. Uh, that would John Hawks is great. John Hawks he's is great. Yeah. That, he's great. Underrated yeah. fucking actor. Go watch Eastbound Down. He's just, yeah, he's been Martha, around. Martha, Martha, May, Marlene. Yeah, he's she, been he's around forever, dude. Like you know when I did that. Yeah episode like that live thing with alex winter you know like discovered that he was in like these uh silly little films that alex winter had made back in the day like in the 80s that like the stuff that had like the butthole surface and stuff in it so, yeah, yeah yeah like was like family barbecue or texas barbecue or whatever it's fucking called yeah michael parks plays the texas ranger earl mcgraw 
in that scene. Always with great John to see Michael Pog. Yeah. Tarantino, you know, yeah. legend. He's uh, notable for his 1969 series, Then Came Bronson. He's like an old Hollywood hand. He was the favorite of mm. Tarantino, Rodriguez, and then, and even then like Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith and even David Lynch. Despite being killed in this film, though, Michael Parks would play the character of the Texas Ranger, Earl McGraw. Again. Again in yeah. Kill Bill Volume 1 and in both parts of Grindhouse. And as well as just appearing in both Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez films as well, just a lot, you know, just keep popping up. <laughs> then we also have the late Kelly Preston, who was John Travolta's wife uh, for many, many years until her death back in 2020. Uh, she plays the newscaster Kelly Hogue, who's talking about the Gecko Brothers, and they just pop in mm. that news footage. So this is interesting. So there's a lot of weird stuff with this film. And other films, and there's just like the connecting worlds of uh, of Tarantino films and shit, and even Robert Rodriguez a little bit as well. So Kelly Preston reprises her role in the 1996 film Curdled, where she again plays the newscaster Kelly Hogue. Tarantino was the executive producer of Curdled. I've never seen this film. I didn't even know about this until today. So in that film, there's like a crime and I think like a murder happens or something in the film curdled and she's doing a news report about like uh, famous murderers and stuff. And like, I think they drop in a couple of legit serial killers, but then they drop in like a little section where she's like, and recently we were in Texas where we talked about the Gecko brothers, uh, Seth and Richie. And then she like was talking about how they murdered all these people. Like, and then they just disappeared out of like out of sight, you know? And mm. it's just like a weird little thing. And they even had Tarantino and Clooney appear as Seth and Richie Gecko with footage of their mugshots from for dust till dawn. So they're in the same cinematic universe. Yeah. And then the mugshot you see from, this film and then also in curdled of George Clooney gets reused in Steven Soderbergh's film in 1998, his crime film out of sight where George <laughs> Clooney plays like a, a uh, criminal on the run and he like meets up with Jennifer Lopez and like kind of gets her involved and stuff. Pretty fun little film, which strangely enough features Michael Keaton reprising his role as FBI agent Ray Nicolette from Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Because both of those films are based on books by Elmore Leonard. <sighs> Fucking round and round we yeah. go. And then- I love that kind of shit. Yeah. I love that kind of shit. Yeah. Could we get big off, you know, big off. People get so fucking hot about like the Marvel, you know, characters yeah. popping in each other, in and out of each other's movies. But like, it was happening. Yeah. It, like already in the nineties and two thousands, like the indie directors were like big on it. Kevin Smith obviously made it really uh made a career off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Universe and stuff. But I lo- I love it. Well, I, I mean kind of I I wasn't joking when I did that. And then Oh, there's more. There's more. Sorry, I Seth- cut you off. <laughs> Seth and Richie could be seen eating big kahuna burgers, which are from the restaurant featured in Pulp Fiction. That's great. That's the Hawaiian joint, right? It is. And then also Chongo beer is in the bar, uh, which is from Robert Rodriguez's Desperado. That's a good. So, Phil, while we're talking about food. Oh, here we go. Boy, rations are fucking gone. It is the over. Snack time. 
love for, if for some reason you had the shrimp from last week <laughs> you just pulled it out and you're like oh shit this is what I got well I think I probably it's gonna be just as bad because I got this hours and hours and hours ago and I just left it it's sitting a big kahuna burger uh, it's a it's a big McDonald's burger oh yeah boy treat yourself um but I thought it, oh, man. I thought it'd be I'm funny I'm gonna go get McDonald's afterwards now I thought it'd be funny <laughs> though because Phil he, I'm not saying this in a bad way at all and I hope you agree, but this film is like a greasy hamburger that's been sitting in a bag for about like five hours. <laughs> it's uh, it just you know, good. it's it's like you're but, gonna you're gonna fucking eat it and you're gonna have a good time probably. I don't know, maybe yeah. I won't, but it's like that's just the vibes of this movie. And doggy bag burger. Yeah, I feel like you know. The, the, you know, big kahuna burger that the guys are eating probably was just at the bottom of the floorboard for about two weeks. Or they they probably, you know, stole the car and the big kahuna burger just happened to be in there and it probably was on the floorboard. Mm. And like, you know, anyway, so I got a <laughs> McDonald's what you got? What you got? double cheeseburger. Nice. Um, I haven't had one of these. McDonald's is plastic, man. So it's so nice and cold, you know, <laughs> lukewarm. Oh, good chew on that. Dude, to be honest, you know what? This kind of tastes like it would have probably if I ordered it just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. an hour before just we not recorded it and it a- appeared and just would have been That's like the thing. not. That's the thing with Mickey D. It's either so, like. That it's barely food. Yeah, it's either, you know, just barely hot or it tastes like this. <laughs> not hot at all. Yeah. <laughs> there's no in between. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, you, got the you pickled know what? And onions it's and uh, not bad. cheese. I was actually expecting there, there, it to be worse. There's a time and a place. There's yeah. a time and place for McDonald's. You know you what? The time and place it. It can is be fun. Ten now. Ten twenty on a night where like we start recording. After we've been talking for four forever, hours, ever, and I yeah. never had proper dinner. <laughs> yeah, these snacks are my dinner. I mean, I had Dr Pepper for the last one. Oh yeah, very nice. Mm. That's good. Okay, how many? How many RVs do you give it? RVs. Um, I mean, it's not life changing. <laughs> you know, it's not revolutionary <laughs> or anything. I'll give it a couple sure. RVs. You know, you got your main yeah, one, two and then you got the one that you take out on the weekend. The backup. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit smaller. Fair enough. You know, maybe doesn't have all the kinks. But you That's got good. some kinky shit going on inside. <laughs> yeah, you don't know don't what's going on. Don't come and knock on my RV's rocking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. McDonald's, you take a bite, you think you're getting a hamburger, you think you're getting a hype movie, but what's inside you don't know. Could mm. be vampires. Really, That's the thing. That's a chance you take. It really could be. Yeah. I have to say, Phil, it's like, it's not good by any means, but it's okay. You know, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like divine Compared to that, wrestlers. 
Oh yeah. my god, that but was roughly just like horrible. inedible. Yeah. What did you get? I got. We're, we're going down Mexican way. Yeah, Mexico I almost way. went there. <laughs> I went. Yeah. <laughs> god damn it. Yeah. Um, but me and Dusty, we yeah. happen to be in. Sorry, a, before you continue, sorry. was this not an extremely hard movie to find a snack for? It was. <laughs> it was, this was right. This, again, I just happened. Yeah. This was like just good timing. We were in Houston the other day, and it's a really good Mexican uh, supermarket there. I forget mm. what it's called. It's also a restaurant. It's it's really close to the station. Really easy to find. Would highly recommend going there. It's legit. It's all Mexican produce. We got there. We went there. We got some like salsa and shit. Um, but they had like loads of like Mexican snacks. And this is just one we got. I just think it it. I thought it would be good for this because you know what kind of snacks do you find at a bar? Yeah, like peanuts or something like that. Cool. Nuts, bro. Yeah. So I got some hot nuts. Hot nuts, dude! I actually Everything... seen those before because, like, from where I'm from, there's a lot of Mexican like shops that so you stuff. have seen it. Yeah. yeah, in the south in America. But yeah, these are like, and everything in the supermarket was fucking spicy. Like it was like a joke. It's like you know, I would joke and be like, "Oh, did they have jalapenos in it?" And it fucking would. The candy <laughs> had jalapenos yeah. in it. Um. So everything is like. And every packet, ha- and everything is hot, and everything has like you know excesso sodio. Everything is like d- yeah, like <laughs> d- high in calorie, high calorie, high in salt. Not pusimos más buenos. The best nuts, I'm guessing you mean. But these are hot nuts, original. <laughs> I've already had some. I've already had yeah. some. Um, I mean, that's kind of works. Yeah, hmm, you get a really good crunch off it. Hot nuts. I bet you would have hot nuts after you shot off a cock pistol. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah. I made it work. Yeah. These are really good. They are they do have a bit of a kick. Yeah. My taste for spice is all over the place. I can't eat jalapeno, but I put hot sauce on everything. So I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, it's weird. I remember you were was it last week? No, not last week, obviously, because we just recorded that. But it was the last <laughs> time we recorded. Um you one of the episodes you had something that was spicy. It was one of the pretzels that were spicy. Yeah. And you yeah, the, I remember when I was editing it, like kind of like, ah, probably wouldn't when you said, uh, I bet you'd like these. <laughs> but the thing is, I usually don't like um I, I'm fine with spicy food and stuff, and I like mm. like a natural spicy food or even like, you know, a little bit of sriracha sauce on something. Yeah. yeah be really for sure. nice. And I like chilies and all that. But like when it comes to like snacks and stuff, I usually hate like it tastes like the spice that they put on a lot of snacks is just like it's this weird like it's a spice flavor. Yeah, it's than a, like and it doesn't natural taste, spice. Yeah, it doesn't taste naturally spicy. It like you know those like Doritos what, or Cheetos or anything like that. Like see, oh, I, hate them. Well, I hate them. But I love like yeah, Dusty said the same thing as you. But I like them. I could eat a whole bag of Flame Hot Cheetos <laughs> or they're like chili Doritos. Yeah. I fucking eat them, man. I'm fucking I can eat the whole bag. I don't I don't know why. They're just I'm just like a glutton for punishment. I don't know. These are good though. These are not too bad. This you could eat a whole bag of easy. They're really tasty. Really good. They go down easy. Mm-hmm. All right. And they're Spanish. Great. Okay. How many um like Mayan ruins? Is your like uh, strip club buried on top of <laughs> or built on top of like like three and a half? Three and a half mine ruins. That's pretty three, good. Yeah, three and a half ruin. 
just the right amount. Any more than that, and it's just... Ugh. All right, so filming began in June of 1995, and it was completed by late August. Robert Rodriguez, he's a pretty fast filmmaker. He was getting 30 to 40 setups done in a day, and he managed to cram 15 weeks of shooting into 10. God damn. Fucking legend, man. Yeah. He worked quick. He worked cheap. Yeah. Inspiration Again, go read Rebel Without a Crew. It's fucking yeah. great. How do you make a film on a shoestring budget? Like, you could still mm. do it to this day. We did it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during filming, Robert Rodriguez needed to think of ways to avoid the NC-17 rating due to all the blood and violence. They knew they had a bloody film on their hands. So the decision was to make the vampire's blood green instead of red. So that's why yeah, they, like green. when they explode, it's all green and gooey and weird looking. Which It's I not something I... It's all right. I don't know. It's all right. I don't like it in the film because it feels like that decision. It feels like, you know, why the Ninja Turtles <laughs> always fought robot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you if you lived here, you're like, <laughs> like why, do, Hero turtle, why does Michelangelo suck? Like, yeah, yeah. Why can he not use a fucking weapon? Yeah. Because they cut out all the fucking scenes of him using nunchucks here in the UK. Mm. If you didn't know that, uh, go watch the Check that fucking out. real version, man. He doesn't do much, but he, you know, he has nunchucks. <laughs> he still says funny stuff. You know, that's proved to work, though, because like the MPAA did actually enjoy what they were doing and they thought it was kind of funny. So they, you know, they didn't really request many, you know, more cuts to get him down to an R rating. But some of the cut scenes did include a stripper vampire stomach opening up like a mouth and biting a man's head off. And oh, thick. An acne-covered vampire popping his zits on people and spraying acidic juices all over nope. them. Nope, don't want to see that. <laughs> that, that. It's like Bill Murray in Osmosis Jones. Yeah, no, thank you. gross. Uh, as with many Robert Rodriguez films, From Dust to Dawn employed a non-union production crew, and this became a big issue, which was, it's unusual for a production with a budget above $15 million to be doing something like this. Uh, Calls issues with the International Alliance of the- Theatrical Stage Employees who um, attempted to bring the crew into a union. There were like really close hairy moments where they all almost went on strike. Uh, I think this gets covered a lot in Full Tilt Boogie. So if you want to check that out, uh, go out, go out your way to watch it or if you've already seen it, rewatch it or whatever. But anyway, it gets covered a bit in there. Uh, they were rebuked by Tarantino and the producer Lawrence Bender, who said that it would add $300,000 to the budget, which the uh, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees kind of thought was bullshit. Um, mm. Tensions between the two sides continued throughout production, and ultimately no action was taken by the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. But, you know, it was shown in Full Tilt Boogie that Miramax eventually agreed to provide health care for the crew members. So that was a workaround. The first five weeks of shooting from dusk till dawn was the bar fight from this, um, that takes place up to, you know, up the second half of the movie. And it was done on a soundstage in Los Angeles. But once they picked up the stakes and headed out on a location, things got a bit more complicated, a desert outside of Barstow, California, where the facade of, um, the titty twister was built. Like, so basically, while they were filming some of the final scenes there, like the explosions that happen when they, you know, basically, you know, at the end mm. where they like blow up, they the blow up the bar. Um, 
it worked a little too well. And uh, one of the guys who, the technicians, Tom uh, Bellissimo, said that he uh, knew that there was a chance of it catching fire. As a matter of fact, we knew there would be a fire. We just didn't think it would be this much fire. That happens. Sometimes the magic works perfectly and sometimes it doesn't work perfectly. (laughs) They attempted to get the uh, fire under control, but it kind of like, you know, uh, didn't really work out. And then Mm. they were like, okay, well, let's just work around it. But then as they were designed to work around it, a dust storm kicked up. (laughs) Oh, shit. Fucked up everything. Uh, and they had to call off production until that cleared out. And then there was also, I think, issues where they were like their last day. They were supposed to be filming and they were needed sun. And, and then it fucking rained. And they like <laughs> they were just trying to like, come on, this like last fucking <laughs> What's shot. So close? They just needed fucking sunlight to uh, match all their other scenes. And like, yeah, it just started raining. And they were just like saying something about how they were worried. They were, they were just waiting for the frogs. <laughs> yeah, it cut the yeah. mine ruin. Uh, From Dust to Dawn had its world premiere in January 1996. On its first week, the film grossed over $10 million in the United States. Not too bad. Making it the highest Mm. grossing film of the week. Ultimately, it grossed $59.3 million on a $19 million budget. It was considered a bit of a box office success, despite critics being pretty mixed on it. You know, Roger Deber gave the film three out of four stars, describing it as a skillful meat and potatoes action extravaganza with some... Added neat touches. But then Janet Maslin in the New York Times, she wrote that the latter part of the From Dust to Dawn is so relentless as if it's as if a spigot, which is a very American term, so like a tap or whatever, mm. has been turned on and then it's broken. And then some of the <laughs> and then it's just shooting everywhere. Some of the tricks are entertainingly staged, but the film loses its clever edge. When the action heats up so gruesomely and exploitatively that there seems to be no time for talk. That was a l- large mix of it was either some people really liked it and then some people yeah. were like, dude, the second half just dragged this film down to the ground. So Yeah, I can I can see that because again, like I'm saying, my favorite thing about the film is the character and yeah. the interplay between them and there's the dialogue again. Santino mm-hmm. fucking great writer. That's where it shines. And in his film he lets that shine mm-hmm. and the violence rarely gets in the way of that. But it, this one is very much, it turned into a Rodrigo film halfway through. But if you enjoy that, that, that's good as well. Yeah, definitely. So it's just up to you. The film was, in 1996, actually banned in Ireland. The Irish Film Center Board head Seamus Smith cited this irresponsible and totally gratuitous uh, violence, which he felt was particularly untimely in the wake of the recent, so this was like Dumblane, Massacre, which was in Scotland, oh, okay. and then the Port yeah. Arthur Massacre, which uh, was in, I think, Australia. Um, so those were kind of recent events. So they banned the film. And I, I think it was kind of banned until 2004 when it came out on like DVD really? or something. Despite all this, the film was a big hit in home video. So, <laughs> Shoot, the fucking fine yeah. vampire. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's weird. This is so we've talked about this before, and I know this kind of created like a weird discussion at the cinema recently about what makes a cult film. But From Dust to Dawn is like one of these weird films that was actually kind of a hit at the box office, but strangely is one of those weird films that's it's a a cult cult film, film. and it's just I think so. Yeah, it's it's odd. Um, but yeah, it became a huge hit on home video, and you know, 
had a big. It was made for that market. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it went on to win the best horror film and best actor for George Clooney at the Saturn Awards, and George Clooney also won best actor at the Fangoria Awards, as well as Clooney winning best breakthrough performance at the MTV Movie Awards. Like I said, this film fucking put him on the star, catapulted him, put him on the map, put him on the map, catapulted him to be a star. Uh, yeah, Quentin Tarantino himself was nominated for both best supporting actor at the Saturn Awards. <laughs> and also worst supporting actor at the Razzies and also at the Stinkers. So <laughs> Oh, he's not that bad. God, you just gotta go after him. Uh, he's playing Tarantino, but yeah. he's not bad in the film at all. From from Dust Till Dawn spawned two low budget sequels. Have you ever seen any of the sequels? No. Me either. No interest. I hear they're awful. I think I watched I haven't even Art- seen the show. The show is supposed to be good. Yeah, I never saw the show either. I remember the show when that came out as well. Um yeah, it's weird. Like Danny I, Trejo is in all of them. Could have caught you. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. It's weird. Like I I think I saw part of one of them, but like it, I just remember we just thought it was bad and we turned it off. They're um, like the they're like the straight to video of crow sequels, yeah, you know. Yeah, it yeah. kind of falls into that. So there was 1999's from Dust to Dawn two Texas Blood Money, and then there was 2000's from Dust to Dawn three The Hangman's Daughter. The only actor to appear in both follow-up films, both of which are technically prequels, is Danny Trejo. Although Michael Parks has a key role in The Hangman's Daughter, so he's the guy who plays the sheriff. But then oh, he comes back for the third one. Yeah, but he he doesn't play the sh- the the uh, sheriff or the Texas Ranger. Oh, okay, he plays someone else. But then also from Dust and Dawn two and three are generally disregarded by. Most of all people, except for diehard fans, I guess maybe some of the most diehard mm. forgiving fans could like get on board with it. Yes, they did introduce uh, one character who will later return in Tarantino and Rodriguez film. So Michael Parks, son, James Parks plays deputy Edgar McGraw in both films. And he would end up reprising his role alongside his father. This again, more weird shit. So, like I said, the Texas Ranger McGraw character would appear in Kill Bill Volume 1 and also in both Grindhouse films. So Edgar McGraw, Deputy Edgar McGraw, the son of Michael Parks, James Parks, <laughs> who is also the son of the <laughs> Texas Ranger, sure. the, would yeah, appear in both of these from Dust to Dawn films. And he later reprised his role alongside his father in Kill Bill Volume 1 and also... In both parts of Grimehouse, and also oh also appears a machete. Weird, <laughs> Very fucking weird. <laughs> it's too hard to tie all together. Um, that would be a good season at the cinema. Yeah, yeah. All these fucking you just, you just follow the side characters, the side characters. Yeah, yeah. the Texas Rangers film. <laughs> In 2014, it did uh, basically to co- coincide with his El Rey network. So El Rey is mm. the uh, place that they want to get to. In this film, yeah. so it was named after that. I'm assuming that's where he lifted his his name for his network, uh, Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, that name is actually taken from the Jim Thompson book called The Getaway, and that's this like famous like well like a, in the book, it's like this legendary place where gangsters go out to hide. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Robert Rodriguez for the release of his El Rey Network produced from Dust to Dawn, the TV series that ran for three seasons. Uh, yeah, again, didn't see any of it, but I do remember that happening. I remember the El Rey Network because it was like Lucha Underground was on it, and 
Oh yeah, no, there was a bunch of cool yeah. stuff on El Rey. There was a series of uh, like directed chair style interviews mm-hmm. where Rodrigo would just interview people that he liked. Yeah, and those are really good. Check them out. The Sylvester Stallone episode in particular, it's really good. Yeah, I would recommend that. But yeah, I remember yeah, Lucha Underground and shit was cool. Yeah, Is yeah. that still a thing? Did he still have the El Rey network? Uh, so El Rey, actually, I think it ceased to be a network in 2020, but it's still a streaming service. So oh, cool. It still operates well, cool. streaming. So, yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, that's from Dust of Dawn. <laughs> we, made it. we made it through the night. And we woke up on the other side and we can say one of my favorite lines ever in the film. That George Clooney said to Julia Lewis right at the end. You, you know, I'll do, you? I'll do that for you. For, you know, I think. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, what? I think talked about, no. you know. Yeah. Sorry, what is it? What does he say? Uh, I may be an asshole, but I'm not fucking off. Yeah! I was thinking I about that earlier me. today to for some reason. Me. I don't remember why, but I was. Yeah, it's in my head. Just perfect, like, thumbs up that character. Yeah. Perfectly. From yeah. Dr. Dawn, it's one of my favorite. Uh, Vampire movie. I'll, I'll say that since we're talking vampire, which is werewolf. No, my it's one of my favorites. Mm. It's a unique spin on it, and it's just fucking fun. It's fun in that old school hot B horror movie way that you just don't see very often or seen done well very often yeah. anymore. I don't think so. If you haven't seen it, I would say definitely check it out. And if you have and you didn't like it, give it another go. Yeah, I think. Uh, it's middle of the pack for me in terms of, or maybe even closer towards the end of the pack uh, in terms of vampire films, but as a crime film that turns into a goofy vampire film, it's fun and I really like it Uh, but yeah, in terms of vampire films you know what it is? I think it's like besides Selma Hayek because she's clearly sexy like there's not enough sexy vampires in this like and there's not a lot, <laughs> enough of like fucking around. What do you mean, stick machine with vampire lore? You know, like uh, you know, it, they like, do the whole know. stick through the heart shit. Yeah, I know, but like there yeah. is a whole they're, they're questioning all the vampire lore. But you know, yeah. What I wanted to do, I you wouldn't want to do, um, which yeah, really yeah. Ex- we'll goes into all year. the fucking vampire lore and stuff, uh, which would have been. Um, uh, let the right one in so everyone go watch that as well <laughs> for, for next year <laughs> all right Phil. And i don't want to hear anything about i don't believe in vampires because i don't believe in vampires yeah. but i believe my own I fucking mind and what i saw is fucking vampires yeah all right um, just non-stop quote we're, we're done, we're done. <laughs> um, we did it but phil next week, halloween next week halloween rolls on vampires witches and werewolves oh my rolls oh on oh my with Witches, and we're going to be talking about you know we we very specific witch. We were just talking about like some very creative filmmaking and filmmakers, especially in their early days. Here we go. Fucking here we go. Mariachi is like very impressive. And then you read his book. You know, again, we're plugging this man's book, and it doesn't need to be plugged. But anyway, it's good read if you want to be a filmmaker. Uh, But man, talk about creative films. One of the most creative witch films of all time. It's the Blair Witch Project. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. wait.
This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.